be in Hebrews this morning. Last week, we started a new series in which, Lord willing, we will make it through the book of Hebrews. This is probably my favorite book. It's, 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 I guess in some sense, it's crazy that I've never preached it in all of these years, in the last nine years, but we are, we are going to going to start it. We have started it. You may have noticed in your bulletin that it says Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, which were the same verses that we looked at last week. That is not a misprint, but we're not moving on. I told y'all last week it, we'd probably be in the book about 30 weeks, and we're already a week behind. We, we already are, 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 are behind where we should have been, but that's okay. We're not, we're not on any, any kind of time schedule. We want to, we want to get the, the richness of God's Word that is the book of Hebrews. If you like Jesus, then you are going to like the book of Hebrews. If you don't like Jesus, then please continue to come as we go through the book of Hebrews. We had an a, a introduction last week of sorts to the book, and, and quite frankly, if we were to sum it up, it's, it, it, it could best be summed up as Hebrews is a book about Jesus. And, and this week, in a sense, I guess we could say is is the introduction part two. Uh, we talked last week about really uh, some of the unknowns about the book of Hebrews. That is, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. We don't really know where the people were that received this letter. Uh, some of the letters we see in the New Testament, like uh, the letter to the people of Galatia, for instance, Galatians, or the people of Colossae, uh, Colossians, the people of Ephesus, Ephesians. We know where those letters were written to, who they were written to. In the book of Hebrews, we don't know for sure exactly where these people were located. They appear to be Jewish Christians, that is, people who, who are Jewish by birth, but that have, have become Christians, have put their faith in Jesus Christ, and, and they are being tempted to turn away from Jesus Christ. Now, last week in Hebrews 1, verse 1, is kind of what we really focused on, and that is this, that Jesus is better than the prophets. Now, when we look at, at the Jewish people in the Scripture, there are, there are a couple of things that are of real importance to them, uh, mainly that group that was, that was against Jesus, that group that was really religious. They really put a lot of emphasis on the law of God and the prophets. And here we see the author of Hebrews instantly starting out saying this, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than what? Well, well, in particularly, he's better than the prophets, but, but as a whole, he is better than everything. And so it's interesting that, that, that some of those who were against Jesus uh, would have really acted like, oh, we really, we really believe the prophets that God sent in the past when, when they didn't. And that's what we talked about last week. Uh, Jesus, uh, he spoke about a parable of a vineyard owner and says, no, you don't really care about the prophets. Uh, God took care of you, gave you everything you need. He sent his prophets to tell you what you needed to know, and you killed all the prophets. And then God sent his only son, and Jesus said, you're going to kill the son too. And the audience that heard Jesus tell this parable, uh, they were livid. They knew that he was talking about them. But we see in, in uh, uh, Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7, and I would encourage you to read that, that is a fantastic sermon 
that sums up, he goes through, he says, look, let me tell you about Jesus, and I'm going to start by telling you about all these things in the Old Testament, and let me tell you how Jesus is better than these things. And Acts chapter 7 is a fantastic sermon. Uh, and in Acts chapter 7, uh, verse 52, Stephen tells them, he says, uh, Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They even kill those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. So Stephen says, look, you want to talk about the prophets. Well, look, you ain't no better than your ancestors. And what did they do? They killed the prophets. And what is your generation going to do, or had, had done at this point? They killed Jesus. And that audience, when Stephen said that, and they heard the most beautiful sermon in Acts chapter 7, you know what that audience did in response to that sermon? They stoned him. They killed him. They did not want to hear the truth of the word of God even though Stephen was trying to tell him, look, don't go back to the law. Don't worry about the prophets. You need to realize that, look, your ancestors didn't even really follow those people. And now God has sent someone better than the prophets who were to come. And that's what the book of Hebrews is about. His audience here were tempted to turn from Jesus and go back to something that they knew, back to something that was more comfortable to them. They wanted to go back to the law. They wanted to go back to the prophets. They wanted to go back to the old sacrificial system instead of recognizing that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was perfect for them. But why were they being tempted to turn back to the old way? Well, it's simple, because following Jesus was difficult. Following Jesus had led to some type of persecution. They were in a difficult time. They were probably in a difficult time in multiple ways. Now, at this time, Rome was the, was the superpower of the world at that time. And Christianity, uh, with this group of people who were, who were banding together all in one accord, following Jesus Christ and the teachings of Jesus Christ, to do the works of Jesus Christ, well, this, this was a threat to the Roman Empire. So obviously they didn't want this, this little sect that was growing into a big sect of, of people called Christians. That was a problem for the Roman Empire. And so they wanted to get rid of this situation as well. And there was a nut and power about the time that this book was probably written. Nero, if you don't know much about him, then you can read about him. He was a pretty crazy guy. And so Christianity was a threat to Rome, and so they were very likely facing persecution from Rome. But, but this group may have also been facing persecution from other Jews. That is, not those who had put their faith in Jesus Christ. We refer to them as Christians. But, but to those who would have been part of the group that would have nailed Jesus to the cross. Now, they wanted to get rid of Jesus and, in essence, get rid of everything that Jesus had taught. But their plan had backfired because they had gotten rid of Jesus, but it was of no benefit to them because now... Now the work of God was stronger than ever. Now people were, were seeking God more than ever. More people than ever were, were flocking to Jesus, the Messiah, and saying, wait a minute, we believe this was the Son of God. And so even though the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and, and all these people that wanted Jesus dead and succeeded, uh, at least to some extent, in nailing him to the cross, however, he was resurrected, praise the Lord, they had failed at stopping the, 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 the growth of God's kingdom. And so it's also possible, and probably likely as well, 
that these Christians may have been facing some persecution from other Jews, saying, hey, look, you, you don't need to follow Jesus. You need to come back, and you need to start sacrificing blood and goats again and not worry about this old Jesus fellow. And so whatever the cause was of their persecution, wherever it was coming from, it was effective. Life for Jesus had gotten really hard for this audience, and they were on the verge, some of them were, were, were turning back to the old way. And the author of Hebrews, whoever they were, wrote this letter and said, you better focus on Jesus. And let me tell you why, because Jesus is better than anything else, and it is a book from start to finish about Jesus Christ. Now that's just the introduction to the to the introduction part two today. But that's what that's what the book is about. That is the the importance and the significance of this book. So let's read the passage once again, Hebrews 1 verse 1, and then we'll pray. We'll start at verse 1. We'll read the first three verses once again. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. He has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and your word is good. Dear Lord, your son is good. And God, I pray today that as we read your word, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, God. That maybe there are some in this room that do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. God, I pray that today that they would. God, maybe there are some in this room and they, they are yours. Maybe they have trusted in Jesus, and maybe through the temptations of the world, dear Lord, through persecutions that they are facing, maybe today they are tempted to turn away, dear Lord. Maybe they are drawn to something of this world, but God, let us not be drawn from Jesus Christ. But God, in this time that we are in the book of Hebrews, let us be drawn to Jesus, God, not from Jesus. So God, I pray that Jesus would be the focus of our life today. Be with me as I preach and teach, dear Lord, all for your glory. Take away my fear. Take away my pride, God. I pray that you would control my mind and control my mouth. And God, that your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us today through your word, God. Let no one get anything from my word, but God, let it come from your word. Because God, your word is what changes our lives. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this group that... that the author of Hebrews is writing to is facing persecution. And this should not have come of as any surprise to them, nor to you and I, because Jesus had already said while he was still alive and ministering, he had said, hey, this is what life is going to be like, okay? And so we need to remember that that is true for Christians today, that when we follow Jesus, it is often going to come with difficulties. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 20 and 21, Remember the word I spoke to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name, because they don't know the one who sent me. So what does Jesus say? Jesus says, look, 
I've come to tell people about God the Father. I have come to tell them the truth. I have come to help them to see the light. I have come to give them eternal life. But some see me and they don't want anything to do with it. And so they persecute me. And eventually they nailed Jesus to the cross. And Jesus says, know that if you are my followers, if you put your faith in me, if you are trying to live for me, if you are trying to speak the truth of God's word and live that out in this world, this world is still not going to want to hear it. No matter who reads this, if somebody's reading this 10 million years from now, if the world is still here, then this word will be true. So long as people try to live by the truth of God's word, the world does not want to hear it. Because naturally, like the things of the world that are sinful, we're drawn to, we like those things, and, and we want to do what we want to do, even things that are evil and sinful, because they momentarily feel good to us. And we don't want anybody telling us that we are sinners. We don't want anyone telling us we can't do what we want to do when we want to do it, even though it's like a prison for us, even though it enslaves us, even though Jesus says, I'm going to break those chains, I'm going to give you freedom, I'm going to deliver you. Even though that's what God's Word is trying to say when it says don't sin in this way, even though that's what Jesus was trying to say, even Jesus was saying, look, even though you will sin, I will die on a cross so that you could be forgiven. The world does not want to hear that message. And they did not want to hear it when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was the greatest person to ever walk the earth, if they did not want to hear it from them, then what would make us think that we would fare any better than Jesus? We will not. We cannot preach or teach or do anything any better than Jesus did it because Jesus was perfect in every way. And so we need to know that as Christians, if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, life will be difficult because there are times in life that we must make a stand. There are some times maybe that things are going on and we need to be quiet, but there are other times that we must stand up and say, this is not right. This is not what God's Word says. This is not the will of God. This is not the truth of God. This is not what God wants for us. This is wrong. This is sinful. But let me tell you about the Word of, of God and about the Savior Jesus Christ because God wants to give you something better than the sin you're living in. There are times, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we need to speak up and we need to live our life in a way that we say we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. Jesus Christ. But how many times when things come up in our life do we shrink back? How many times are we in danger, as this audience was, of falling away and saying, I'm not going to stand for Jesus because it's too difficult, because the pressure is too strong. The pressure is always going to be strong, but our Lord is going to be stronger. And so Jesus says, hey, look, if you're going to follow me, life is going to be difficult. Now, if you're a Christian, you've probably already learned that. If you're a Christian and you hadn't learned that, then hold on. You're going to learn it because there's going to come a day when you're going to have to say, either I'm going to stand up for God or I'm not. And be prepared that when we really stand up and live for God, it's going to lead to, to difficulty in our time. We see this all throughout the Scripture in Jesus' ministry. We see that Jesus faced opposition all the time. Here's a few examples of the opposition that Jesus faced. In John chapter 8, verse 58 and 59, Jesus said to them, those who were always coming against him, I assure you, before Abraham was, I am. 
Now, here's the thing for a lot of these Jewish people. They wanted to go back to the prophets. They wanted to go back to the law. They wanted to go back to Abraham. But Jesus says, I am greater than Abraham. Holy smokes. How dare Jesus say such a thing? Notice the word that he says there. Before Abraham was, I am. Now, you may recall, if you've ever read the story of Moses, or maybe you haven't, but, but God appeared to Moses in a burning bush, and God told Moses to go and rescue his people out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said, well, who in the world do I tell him sent me? And God said, I am. Tell him, I am has sent you. And here throughout the New Testament, we see on occasion that Jesus uses the phrase, I am. Now, Jesus was no doubt on some of these occasions trying to draw his audience back to the fact that he is, in fact, God, who was speaking to Moses. It was God. God was the great I am. And here Jesus, as he is preaching and teaching in his ministry, he says, before Abraham was, I am. I am greater than Abraham. And what did the, what did the crowd do when they, when they heard that? Verse 59, at that they picked up stones to throw at him. Now, this is a pretty common type of response that Jesus sees from a lot of these religious people who were worried about the prophets, who were worried about the law, who were worried about Abraham. And Jesus says, you're missing the point because all of these things pointed to Jesus. And so these people were trying to find greatness in things that were only a shadow of the greatness of what was to come in Jesus Christ. Here's another example. We talked about this last week. When Jesus told that parable about uh, God's going to take, take, take what he gave to you and he's going to give it to another, talking to the Jewish people because they had rejected Jesus, he says in Matthew 21, 43, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation producing its fruit. And then in verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they knew he was speaking about them. So they were intelligent enough to understand even Jesus' parables were talking about them. And what did they want to do in the next verse? They wanted to arrest him. Okay, the last one, they wanted to stone him. Now they wanted to arrest him. This is a common theme, that when Jesus would say things, they wanted to arrest him or stone him because they knew what Jesus was saying. They probably made the connection when Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. They understood what Jesus was saying, but they did not want to accept what Jesus was saying. Hear this parable of the vineyard owner. They knew what Jesus was saying. They knew that he was speaking against them, and they did not want to hear what Jesus had to say. And so Jesus was constantly facing opposition. Another passage, John chapter 5, verse 16 Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Now, he, he healed somebody on the Sabbath. Sometimes he would do these things. And those who were super religious, they said, oh, how dare you do this? Verse 17, but Jesus responded to them, my father is still working and I am working also. This is why the Jews began trying to uh, all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, this is where it's getting really serious, right? Because God, or excuse me, Jesus is referring to God as his father. And this audience did not like to, to hear this because they, they, they made a connection that was a right connection to make. What did they say? It says he was even calling God his own father. In essence, they recognized that he was making himself equal with God. 
Okay, and this is important because Jesus is equal with God. Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. John chapter 1. Jesus was trying to help his audience see this. And they did see this. They did acknowledge that when he called God the Father, they acknowledged that he made himself equal with God. But they didn't want to hear that truth. Uh, John chapter 10, verse 30. The Father and I are one. That's pretty plain. Jesus tells them pretty plainly there. The Father and I are one. And what are their response there when they hear this? Again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him. So all of these people... Well, not all of them, but, but all of these in this passage we're talking about, the same group of people, very religious people who loved the prophets, who loved the law, but did not love Jesus. Well, the audience of Hebrews, they had heard these things about Jesus, and it appears as though they had, they had put their faith in Jesus, and now for some reason, they're wanting to go back and deny that. They're wanting to go back and they want to go back to these old ways, which question who Jesus is and, and what he has done, that he is in fact the Son of God. And there is great significance to that, that we see that Jesus is the Son of God. We see that in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. Jesus, the Son of God. Now that is very important for us to realize and see uh, the significance of that as we go through the Scripture. You see, when we go through the Scripture, uh, in particular the Old Testament, the phrase Son of God is not terribly uncommon. We see oftentimes God's people referred to as the Son of God or sons of God or the angels referred to as the sons of God. In Luke chapter 3, Luke gives a genealogy there. And at the end of that genealogy, it all comes down to Adam. Everybody was the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, the son of Adam, who was who? The son of God. We see this type of language. And, and, and Adam, being a son of God, was a foreshadowing of who Jesus was. So as in Adam all have sinned, through Jesus Christ all will be made whole. So, so we see this idea of people in the Old Testament being referred to as a son of God, but who is it pointing to? It's pointing to Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, we see Israel referred to as the son of God uh, and Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Who is it speaking of there? Israel. Israel is the son of God. Coincidentally, this verse is also used in the New Testament to talk about, guess who? Jesus. Now, we might not be able to see that connection. Wait a minute, how in the world was that talking about Jesus? Well, in the context, it was talking about Israel. Uh, but in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 2, Matthew says, hey, so that this scripture could be fulfilled. Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit had revealed that to him to help him know, hey, this passage from way back when in the book of Hosea was pointing us forward to Jesus Christ. We see the same type of language of David uh, in the Psalms. In Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Now, this is talking about David here. So David is a son of God. But then what do we see in Acts chapter 13? We see that this passage is applied to Jesus Christ. And so the phrase, the son of God, is common to us throughout the Old Testament. Maybe one good example that you may be familiar with is, is there was these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and they were standing up for the Lord, and they weren't going to give in to the, to the rules that told them they couldn't worship the Lord. And they were thrown into 
a fiery furnace. And when Nebuchadnezzar looked into that fiery furnace, he said, wait a minute, how many men did we throw in there? And they said, well, we threw three in there. And he said, well, I see four. And the fourth one looks like the Son of God. And so even in the Old Testament, we see these, these references uh, referred to as Christophanies sometimes. That is, people uh, are, uh, in the Old Testament that, that likely are Jesus Christ pre-incarnate. That is, before Jesus came in the flesh, we see these examples in which it appears as though Jesus was present. And, and even Nebuchadnezzar, this, 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 this king that, that wasn't one who feared God and served him, even he acknowledged that, wait a minute, this other person in the fire is like the Son of God. And so here we see Jesus come onto the scene, and he, in fact, is the Son of God. And this is significant because we see all these sons of God in the Old Testament, but these sons of God in the Old Testament failed, okay? Adam failed. Israel, time and time again, failed. Even David failed. Solomon, who came after, failed. And there's a whole list of people in the Old Testament, uh, some of which are referred to as sons of God. And what do they do? Time and time again, they fail. But now God has sent one. Now God has sent his only begotten son in Jesus Christ. And in every way that all the other sons of God had failed, Jesus Christ is victorious. In all the other ways that the sons of God had come before, they were pointing to Jesus Christ who had now come. And the audience that heard Jesus preach and teach, they understood that connection. That when Jesus talked about the Father, that when Jesus said, me and the Father, we are one, they knew that that meant, and they acknowledged, look, this guy is saying that he is equal with God. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. He is the perfection of all the other sons of God. He, in fact, is the Messiah. But many people of Jesus' day didn't understand that. But this group that the author of Hebrews is writing to, they got it. They got it. They had put their faith in Jesus Christ. They were living for Jesus Christ. And even though they had understood the truth of God's word, they were wanting to turn back to the old way. And so the author of Hebrews starts out right off the bat in the old days, God spoke through the prophets, but today, in these last days, he has spoken to us through who? The Son of God. The Son of God whom you know. The Son of God whose connection you've seen. The one who said, I am. The one who said, me and the Father are one. This is the one whom you have followed. Therefore, don't turn back on Jesus Christ. That is the core of the book. And that may be what we need to hear today. Because in this world that is full of sin, in this world that is full of temptation, in this world that is full of difficulty for those who take a stand for Jesus Christ, we may be tempted to give up on Him. In a world where, where maybe bad things happen and we don't understand Him and we pray and it, and it seems like God is not listening, you may be tempted to give up on Him. But who are you going to turn to? If you've left the sins of the world behind and turned to Jesus Christ, are you really so quickly going to turn back to the ways of the world? Remember those ways and remember Jesus Christ who died for you. This is the key of the book of Hebrews. This is the key to our life as well. Let's look at a couple of other 
other passages. We see uh, further evidence this idea of Jesus and the Father are one and that God is one. We see some other little clues about this very uh, idea. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, uh, we see this. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, this is an important truth that, that obviously the people in Jesus' day recognize that there is one God and God is one. Uh, we see in John chapter 17, verse 22 and 23, I have given them the glory you have given me. May they be one as we are one. Now, in John 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples and for the whole world that would put their faith in him that come after us. And what does he say as Jesus is praying to the Father? He says, I have given them the glory you have given me. May they be one as we are one. So Jesus and God are one, and we are to be one in one another and in the Lord through Jesus Christ. This idea of this oneness and this idea that God is one and Jesus and God are one. And Jesus even gives, I think, another example to, to show this very truth. Uh, there's a story in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, and somebody comes to Jesus, and this is what it says. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responded in verse 18, Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good but one, God. So this guy came up to Jesus, and he said, Jesus, you are good. And Jesus responds in a way that, that, that may seem kind of strange. Why do you call me good? No one is good but God. Now, there's one of two things Jesus could be saying right there. I am not good or I am God. I think that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you know that God is good. You are calling me good. Know that I am God. Make that connection there. The Father and I are one. And so Jesus, in fact, was the Son of God. And these audience here in, that was being written to in the book of Hebrews, they recognized this truth that Jesus had said. They had put their faith in him, but now, for whatever reason, they are wanting to turn back from Jesus Christ. If we need further evidence, apart from the fact that, that Jesus said, I, uh, he, he spoke of the Father, He spoke of being the Son, if that is not sufficient to us, which it should be, God Himself even tells us that. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. And there came a voice from heaven. Now this is when Jesus was baptized. There came a voice from heaven, and that voice said, This is my beloved Son. I take delight in Him. This is God. This is God saying this. This is God speaking. This is God saying, this is my son. And then again, there's a passage of scripture maybe you have heard referred to as the transfiguration where Jesus is up on a mountain praying. And as he's up on the mountain praying, there Elijah and there Moses appear. And the disciples who were with him said, hey, we need to make tabernacles for all of you guys to set up camp right here. It'd be good for us to set up a tabernacle for Moses and Elijah and Jesus. And God spoke in that passage in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son. I take delight in him. Listen to him. 
And then Elijah and Moses were gone. Now what I think God was saying there is Jesus is here, therefore there is no more need for the law in Moses and the prophets represented by Elijah. I think that's what happened in that instance. I think the, 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 the Moses and Elijah appearing there was representative of the prophets and the law. And Jesus says, or excuse me, God said, look, these things are soon going to pass because I have provided something better. Jesus told his disciples in that last supper there, okay, look, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a new covenant. Now, when a new covenant comes, the old passes away. And we will talk about that in much greater detail when we get to that portion of Hebrews. But what did God say? He said, look, listen to my son. This is my son. Listen to him. Don't go back to the law. Don't go back to the prophets because one greater has come. And that is what the author of Hebrews is saying here. Jesus is greater than the prophets. Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. And if you turn from the Son of God, who are you going to turn to? Well, there is no one left for us to turn to. So what of us today? What of us today? Maybe you are here today and you've heard the Word of God and you've put your faith in God. Maybe you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. Today, don't turn from Him. Maybe today you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe today you are still seeking the world. Maybe today you are still living for the world. But we want to be those who become sons of God through the one and only Son of God. And this group in Hebrews, they had become sons of God, but they were in danger of turning from the one who had saved them. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24 through 26 says, The law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Galatians deals with this issue of the law in great detail because people were still trying to be justified by the law. And what does he say? He said the law was our guardian. That is, the law was there to keep us on track and let us know what to do or not do until what? Until Jesus came. And it is through Jesus Christ that we are saved when we put our faith in him. And what does he say? We become sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ the Son of God. John chapter 20, verse 31, uh, talking about the works of Jesus that are written down in Scripture. He says, uh, these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. Eternal life and deliverance comes through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And that's how we are saved when we have faith in him. We have life in his name. So the audience of Hebrews here was being tempted to turn back to the old way, but what does he tell them? He says, do not turn to the old way, but remember the Son of God. Know the Son of God. Do you know the Son of God today? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, Hebrews tells us who Jesus is. 
Jesus is greater than the prophets. He's the Son of God. He's the heir of all things, the one through whom the universe was made, the radiance of God's glory, the expression of God's nature, the sustainer of all things, the purification of sins, the one who brings about justice. He is worshipped by the angels. He is eternal when all else perishes. He is a lover of righteousness and a hater of lawlessness. And he is the anointed one who is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Would somebody say amen? amen? This is who Jesus is. And this is just in Hebrews chapter 1. This is just in the first chapter of the book of Hebrews. This is who Jesus is. So who else are we going to trust in? Who else was the audience going to trust in? There is no one else that we can trust in. There is no other Messiah. There is no other Savior of the world than Jesus Christ, the Son of God, May we put our faith in him today and be forgiven of our sins and trust in him and no other. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your good word, dear Lord. It is so full of goodness, dear Lord. And I pray that we would get it. I pray that we won't miss it, God. I pray that we won't be those who are religious, who try to, who try to make it through this life by our works and our deeds and, 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 and living to be religious, dear Lord. That ain't going to cut it, God. We want to live for Jesus. Dear Lord, maybe there are some today who are tempted. Maybe they are tempted, dear Lord, to, to turn from Jesus. God, I pray that they would not give in to those temptations to choose sin over the Savior, God. God, maybe there are some in here today and they've never put their faith in Jesus. Maybe they don't know who Jesus is. I pray, God, that they, through your word today, would know who Jesus is. That we would not be those who doubt and deny what he said, but we would be those who trust that he is who he said he was that he is who you said he was, that he is your son, that he is our savior. God, I pray that he is the savior to each one that has come into this, this uh, room today, dear Lord. And I pray that all glory and honor is to Jesus Christ and no other. God, let us stand firm. If we are on the fence and wavering today, let these words of Hebrews today and in the weeks to come be what we need to draw us near to Jesus. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.